Hello and welcome to the Pep Talk, the show with your two favorite bald frauds breaking down everything Manchester City. And we are here today looking at the title implications as well as the Southampton away win and a little bit of looking forward to Bayern as well. So I'm Sam, joined by my co-host Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, man. A little bit under the weather, but um, you know, this morning's results, I think, make me feel a little bit better. Um, it's the best medicine ever, isn't it? Best medicine ever. <laughs> best medicine ever. Especially when you wake in the middle of the night watching a game, and then you know, the results good, so you feel a little bit better. Um, it's Easter, Easter long weekend, so you know, I've had four days off in a row. Um, for me, it's Easter Monday. I'm not sure for everyone else around the world what time it would be, but I'm probably ahead of everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, a little bit under the weather, but I'm you know feel a lot better. Feel a lot better now with the results this morning. Um, and we'll, I think we'll just jump straight into that, eh? Like Liverpool, Liverpool, Arsenal. How, what were your thoughts on that result? It was great. I it was a very odd game to watch because I didn't watch all of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I watched mostly the second half. And it was 2-0 when I started watching it. So I just thought, damn it, Liverpool, you fucked this up for us. Um, <laughs> and Liverpool clawed back. I mean, to their credit, they clawed back. And I honestly have just never seen a team so opposite, whether they're home or away. It's it's just so weird. Like, they legitimately look like a 12th place team away from home, but they look like they're competing for top two or three when they're at home. And like, it's so odd to watch. That's their form table uh, at home. They're, they're top three in the league. They sit behind City and Arsenal in the league table from, from the home table. Um, yeah, look, they're, uh, they're a strange team, but yeah, credit to them, man. They brought it back. They clawed it back. Yeah, I mean it was it was a great match to watch. I thought Liverpool should have been able to pull it out. Um, I think Liverpool honestly played better than Arsenal for a good portion of the game. It seemed I know Arsenal looked like they dominated them in the beginning, but uh, See, Liverpool so in the second half should have scored way more goals. Oh, definitely. definitely. I, I I watched the entire game and then the so the first thirty minutes Arsenal were all over them. You know, and I'll, I was like saying, wow, these guys look terrible. And I have a few Liverpool friends that were watching the game at the same time. I was messaging and they were just like, we're going to get, we're going to get slapped like four or five at Anfield from Arsenal. And I'm just like, this can't be happening. And then, you know, and I, I was pissed. I, as soon as I went down 2-0 and like Arsenal were literally all over them um, up to that 30 minute mark. And it was 2-0. And as soon as they scored that second goal, and I'm like, God, because like... In my opinion, I like I feel like they had to drop points here for us to have a good chance of winning the title. It's one of the the, the harder games that they've got, probably the hardest game they've got left besides the Etihad um, on their schedule. So I'm just like, they need to they need to drop points here for us to like have a good good chance of actually winning the league. Um, so I was down in the dumps at two 0 because I'm just like, yeah, Liverpool are not coming back in this. They they looked they looked to put it bluntly fucking shit, right? There was no intensity in defense. There was no intensity in anything they were doing. And then 
And then I think the, I actually think, so Chaka, uh, Chaka and Trent, no, or Henderson, no, it was Trent Alexander, had a little bit of a scuffle um, with a bit of pushing. And from there, just the game changed. Like it suddenly woke them up and then they became intense again. It's like, it's like, it's like they were getting all, put, all, put all over and then suddenly they had a little fight, a little scuffle and then the game changed and the momentum, Anfield woke up, I guess. And then from that, they just got a bit of energy and then went and scored on the other end five minutes later. You know, and then they were in the game. And then from that point, they were all over them. It was just literally like a 60 minute, like six, oh, not 60, probably about 55 minutes where um, Liverpool were just all over them for the entire game. They should, they, yeah. I mean, to, me, to me, they deserved the win. So Salah missed the penalty. Um, they had like, Three very, very good chances in that last five minutes. Credit to Ramsdale, who did some brilliant, brilliant saves to to save them, to basically give them a point. But for mine, I'm just like, a draw or a win, a draw or a loss for Arsenal, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, with the with the goal difference that we have and the fact that we have to beat them at the Etihad anyway, doesn't change whether they drew or lost against them for us personally. Like, if 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 they lost, we would, and then we win out. We only win the league by one point anyway. But if we win out now, we we tied on points. But we have to beat them at had and we're already up ahead in goal difference. So most likely we're gonna be ahead of them in goal difference anyway. So to me, I look at it and go, it, draw a loss is, is just as good as a as each other. If anything, it's probably better because then Liverpool don't actually get three points, which doesn't give them much chance to get into Europe. Which means in, that affects the. <laughs> the Jude sweep takes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's odd because it seems like nobody wants fourth place right now. Or it's it's like a weird musical chairs between all of these teams for third and fourth place. And it could it could literally be anybody. Like yeah, Newcastle exactly. looks good right now. United, who knows? But like United are yeah, yeah Rashford, it, Rashford, Rashford got a bad injury. Yeah, uh, and so, so they can suddenly they can suddenly go on a bad run of form. They've been so reliant on Rashford scoring for him, so if he's out for an yeah. extended period of time. That could literally change the way they play, especially the fact that they've got games every three days. You know, they're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the um in the Europa League. Europa League. They're literally playing games every three days for the rest of the season. Um, so they're they're knackered already. Um, and if Rashford's out for an extended period of time. They could be in trouble. They could lose it on top four. Yeah, so it, it's a it's a weird race. Um, but like you said, like it doesn't matter whether Arsenal lost or drew, really, because even yeah. if they drew, the basically City's destiny is now in our own hands. Correct. Like yeah, if we win out, game. if we win out, then we win the title most likely because we're head on goal difference. If we if City beat Arsenal, there's some more goal difference there, and I I don't think Arsenal would really catch City on goal difference. That would be tough to do, especially assuming that City went out. Um, that would be tough for Arsenal to do, and Arsenal still has some tough games left, so yep. they could still drop more points. And Arsenal have not had the best form since coming back from the World Cup. Honestly, like they're. Um, I saw a table today showing their form, and their form has dipped dramatically 
since coming back from the World Cup. And actually, the second best team, City has been the best team since coming back from the World Cup. And Brighton has been the second best in terms of like goal creation. I think even points, but probably not points. But in terms of goal creation, expected goals, expected points, all of that, all those fun metrics, Brighton is in second above Arsenal. And Arsenal is slipping. So would it really surprise me if Arsenal dropped more points? Especially it seems like they're kind of feeling the pressure and now it's out of their hands. It wouldn't surprise me really at all if City Uh, were able to take advantage of this. Yeah, I I feel like, look, I think, you know, Arsenal probably will drop points outside of the Etihad game, but I think we will as well. And I think that's why it was so important for for them to drop a game, this game against Liverpool. Because that's why, like, that's why I felt if they didn't drop points at at Anfield, then I thought maybe it would have been too hard for us to win the league. Only because, in my mind, I feel like we won't go, we're not going to win out. Right, right. Everyone's saying like we need to win out. We can do it, um, but we've like, we've we've got tough games ourselves. We've got Brentford away, Brighton away. Um, you know, we've got the game at the Emirates. Uh, not sorry, sorry. We've got the game against Arsenal at the Etihad, but we've got tough games ourselves outside of that. Um, so in my mind, I'm like we'll probably get points along the way, especially if we get make the semi-finals of the Champions League. It's gonna be like you know, game every three days. Um, very congested schedule. They haven't rescheduled the the Brighton game because I don't know where to put it. I think I think it, I think I think if we make the Champions League semi final, the only slot available for the Brighton away game will be midweek before the last game of the season. So we can potentially go into um, the last week basically with two games in hand against Arsenal. <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, so it's it's a very very good momentum swing or mental swing for us. I think. I must say though, it was fucking weird celebrating Liverpool's goals. <laughs> yeah, that was that was odd. Like especially at the very end in stoppage time, Liverpool had like four or five chances in stoppage time to win the game, <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, "Are you kidding me?" And then. Arsenal's going back the other way, and it looks like Arsenal's about to score a goal. Dude. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Um, uh, I, so, I've been I've been that nervous for a neutral game in a while. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that was more nerve wracking than the actual Southampton match. So uh, let's get into that a little bit. Let's start with the lineup. Were you surprised that there were no changes? I don't really think it was too much of a surprise, but I guess were you surprised given that we play Bayern three days later? Yeah, that's the only reason. I, like, I thought he would change two to three players, just depending on what needed to be done. Um, so seeing seeing the exact same lineup, because um, and I guess we'll get into this later when we, when we talk about Bayern, but to me it's like, Surely you're going to do a couple changes just to get ready for buying or to keep the legs fresh for buying. Um, but I guess he went with the idea of let's just get the win, get the get goals, and then I'll do some subs, which he did, to be fair to him. Um, so it worked in our favor. I guess it was a calculated risk on Pep's behalf. You know, try getting, based on how the first half was going, it probably, he was probably thinking maybe this wasn't the right risk. Um, but, you know, as soon as we went up, 
3-1, I think, or 3-0, sorry. He started, doing, he started taking off the main, um, your main players like Rodri. And, um, I, think, I think he took off Rodri, Gundogan, and Haaland, basically, all around the 60th minute. So he from, took from, off. Uh, he took off Rodri and Ake, and around the seventy-fifth to eightieth minute, and that's when he put on Phillips and Gomez. By that point, yeah. I believe it was four-one. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so from a from a line perspective, um, surprising yes and no. Um, he like he said he said this a few weeks ago now. I think just after we came back from the international break, he said. Or before we went on the international break, he said the lineups pick themselves now. We're in the home stretch. Um, so Pep was Pep's been really good this season with keeping the legs fresh for most of the year because it was a World Cup year, so he knew he had to keep the legs fresh. And look, we're we're in the middle of April with really no serious injury issues, right? So that's credit to Pep what he's done all season with his lineups. So and it allows him now at this home stretch of the season start overplaying players, right? Because, you know, they've, they've got the minutes left in their legs, essentially. Um, they're not running on fumes in the home stretch of the season because he's, he's rotated really well. And he said it himself. He's like, the Lions will pick themselves. I'll, I'll pick it based now on who's best in form. And that's what he's doing, I think. So Stones and that midfield role, he's doing it perfectly. So he wants to keep him in it. Um, it'll be interesting he does it for buying, though. That's that, that's all. <laughs> that would be the most interesting part. What about you? Yeah, how, well, how do you how do you feel about the lineup? Yeah, I guess I wasn't too surprised that it was the same. I guess now I'll be wondering if it's going to be exactly the same against Bayern as well, and whether he's just these guys have had enough rest. Because I mean, they haven't had any midweek games since before the international break. Um. And the international break is semi-arrest for them already. Like, their their training isn't as tough. They're, they only play maybe two games. Some of them don't even play in those games. So, I think most of the squad is pretty rested up for this home stretch of the season. Um, so, it wouldn't surprise me if they he was to just play the same exact lineup again or, or maybe make one change. But... The lineup does kind of pick itself, so why not play your strongest 11 and keep riding with what you have? I mean, that's yeah, look, it's, it's more or less what you should be doing at this point in the season, and it clearly worked. Yeah, we're on an eight-game winning streak right now, so that's probably the, it's the longest, longest winning streak we've had all season um, in all clubs. Yeah. So the form we're in, we're not conceding as much. We're creating a lot more. I think that's the that's the biggest thing. We're creating so much more. Like we went through that period where we just looked dire in terms of creation, and like it looks like we were doing nothing with the ball. But it's, we're clicking. This is and it's probably the best time for us to click. Usually we click in the season from that November to February mark, and then we're like riding on fumes into April. We've kind of done it the opposite way this season, which could be to our benefit, you know, for the for the home stretch of the Champions League and the Premier League. Um, you know, where we, I feel like in the, in years past, we get to the end of the season and we're running on fumes. Um, it could be, could come to our advantage. It's a different, it's a weird season with the whole World Cup and how it's all gone, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is also, you know, in terms of 
that we look our best right now, I think it is a big reason due to our back line and to Rodri. Like, our build-up just looks so good. It's by far the best that's looked all season. 100%. And it looks like we can just build up through anybody with ease and kind of cut through everyone with ease. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it looks very, like, more older Pep style. Like, maybe his Barcelona days or, like, the very early City days where you, like, the famous Arsenal goal that everybody keeps putting back on, um, back on social media over and over where Sané has that tap in after that great move of just passing it around the back. It seems it's more like that. And that's just because Rodri Stones, Diaz, Akanji, Ake have all been just phenomenal in their one touch passing, moving the ball so quickly. And um, I'll kind of get into a theory of why I think that is a little later. And then like how, City have changed over the last couple months um, yeah. in that build-up. We're much confident so in the, defense as well. Much yeah, confident. yeah, and and more assured in the back line, just defending. Yeah. I think that's so crazy. that as well. It's a lot of a lot of that credit of Diaz. I think. You know, I've yeah, tweet, I've tweeted a few times about him. You know, with and without him in our team is day and night in terms of points, in terms of record in terms of everything um he had, he's had a few injuries over the over the over the last year um where i feel like city fans have started started to underappreciate him and kind of forgot how good he was for us um but now that he's you know full steam ahead again and ready for every game you're like yeah <laughs> this is what we've been missing in the back line like he makes a difference a huge difference yeah so let's let's start let's get into the first half a little bit. Um, what did you think of it? I know obviously Holland scored right before halftime, but uh, what did you think of it? Because you know we obviously had different perspectives looking at this yep. game. Because I didn't watch it in real time, I watched it back again because I was busy uh, during the match. Whereas you watched it in real time. From what yep. I saw on Twitter, I wasn't you know blocking myself from spoilers or anything. I just said, I'll watch it back. Um, so from what I saw before I even watched the match, Twitter seemed to be melting down, just yeah. saying that the city are playing shit. And this is another Southampton away match. And um, they just, they just weren't playing that well. What was your perspective watching it in real time? I, I think um, Pep's bald head doesn't like the sun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, being be serious. Um, the honestly, the first half, and I think maybe maybe a bit of nerves for us fans watching it real time um, start to come into place, especially you know as we call it squeaky bum time for the season. Um, you you kind of get a bit nervous, especially when your team like to me. I feel like we did not play that first half well at all, outside of Harlan's goal. We looked, it wasn't just that we weren't creating chances. It was that Southampton were all over us and they could have had a couple goals that don't show up in any shot or XG charts because they didn't actually shoot the <laughs> shoot the ball at Edison. Um, and I think one of them, Edison, did a nice sweeping 
um, maneuver. I can't remember if that was the first or second half. But the the chances they were having, the way they were playing against us, looked like they were going to nick a goal in that first 20 minutes, right? Um, and I feel like they could have been up 1-0. Very, very easily could have been up 1-0 in that first 20 minutes. You know, the ball bounces slightly their way. You know, someone running into the right area, they'll, they'll get a goal. Um, and then on top of that, we looked to struggle with their uh, pressing ability. I feel like they were cutting every passing lane. So we didn't have options. They were like holding, you know, maybe you can uh, explain this a bit more technically better than, than myself, but the way it looked like was they were, they were sitting ahead of our center backs and basically cutting off every passing lane available from there. So it looked like our center backs were just waiting on the ball for something to open up and then nothing was opening up. And then as soon as they passed, that's when they triggered the press. Um, and we weren't dealing with it well at all in that first half. The second half, I think we changed some tactically and then the subs helped it even further. So when he brought in Bernardo and Kyle Walker, or Stones and Riyadh, that changed the game for me. But in that first half, going back to it, no, I, I was I, I was probably part of the meltdown at that time. And I said, we look, you know, put it bluntly fucking shit and we can we couldn't get through i'm like this is just a typical southampton away game like whether they're gonna nick a goal or it's gonna end up one all and <laughs> we're gonna go home crying out of the sun you know what i mean but i feel like the highland goal helped settle those nerves going to that second half where it's like okay we're up one nil um you know brilliant cross by kevin de bruyne and exquisite finish again by Harlan with his head you know Apparently, one of his weaknesses is his, his heading ability, but yeah, I don't think that's much of a weakness to be honest. Um, so yeah, and that, I think that's how I felt about that first half. I like we were lucky to be up one nil, and we were lucky to go into half time up one nil because that changed. I feel like it didn't allow us to panic in that second half, which was good for us because I feel like if we went into second half nil or maybe the dynamic of the game been a lot different. What, what, what were your thoughts, you know, because you got to watch it a bit after, um, you know, and you probably you probably can analyse a game a little bit better when you're not worried about <laughs> Southampton away and, <laughs> and doing all the prayers while you're watching the game. <laughs> yeah. So I think that definitely helped me, knowing that we already won 4-1 when I'm watching back the game. Um, honestly, I did not think the first half was that bad. I thought... Our buildup was fine. Like like you said, you're right in that they didn't really press our center backs, but what they were doing was completely blocking off any access to Rodri or Stones because the, their two strikers were basically standing right in front of Rodri and Stones, and then they had central midfielders behind them, so they were basically sandwiched. But I think, honestly, we did a pretty good job of, um, a pretty good job of building up even without them. I think we've adjusted to that throughout the season. And the way we did that was um, some more direct balls and also switches. I mean, like, the entire first half, Mares and Grealish were just wide open, and they kept getting the balls and switches. So I normally when we struggle, it's because we're not doing well in the buildup. So we're not even getting to the final third. 
Uh, I think this one, especially in the first 15 minutes or so, I think we controlled the game pretty well. I'd say from about 15 to 25 is when they had a couple decent chances because they were able to kind of pounce in midfield. Like you said, like once those balls go into Gundogan or De Bruyne or whoever, they're swarming them. Um, But mostly in the first half, I think we did a good job of building up. I think the problem was more coming into the final third. We weren't sharp and we weren't patient enough because – you know, a lot of the great goals we've seen this year are we start slowly, we kind of lure them in, and then we pass through them, and we just go, go, go. And then a goal happens. And we tried to do that in the first half, but at some points, like when we build up quickly, once we get into the final third, we slow it back down again to kind of put our, you know, put our foot on their throat and make them sit back and defend in their box. And... We didn't do that enough in the first half. Like, we didn't just have them completely pushed back. We just tried to go through the lines and then would end up giving the ball away that way. So, I do think the first half was better than what I saw, at least on Twitter or whatever, um, of how it happened. But cause, just because the buildup was still fine, like... The, the back five in, you know, Stones, Rodri, and in the back three still did a great job building up. They didn't really have any problems, and I don't really think Southampton had a ton. Like, they had a couple mini chances, I would even say. Like, they weren't even high quality what they had. And, you know, in the I think we're just so spoiled and so used to <laughs> a team having absolutely zero chances in an entire game that that's not normal. And so I think the quality of the chances they had were pretty minimal. Like they, they really didn't have any clear cut scoring opportunities in the first half. And I think, I think overall they did fine. Um, It was more of the quality in the final third that was lacking, which I think is if you're going to struggle, that's where you want to struggle. Because if you struggle in your buildup, you can give away cheap goals very easily. Whereas if you're struggling more in the final third, it's like the last pass isn't clicking or the last move isn't clicking. Well, okay, that can be fixed a little easier and you're still not giving up a ton on the other end. And I think that's where we kind of saw a difference in the second half. So there was just a little bit more patience, a little bit more quality, and especially Gundogan and De Bruyne and also, like you said, the subs. So uh, yeah, I think, that's kind of how I saw it. I feel like Gunnar and De Bruyne didn't have a good first half as well. They were a bit sloppy. Um, yes, they I were giving like, the ball away a lot. Yeah, yeah. So if if you look at if you look back to the to our game against Liverpool, our passes were so crisp every time. Um, and I, I feel I feel like that's probably more indicative of how we play at home versus away. Usually, we're a lot more crisp at home than we are away. You'd agree with that, yeah. right? Yeah, and to their credit, like they were a lot more crisp in the second half, so exactly. that definitely exactly. helps a lot too. But it's it seemed like honestly. So I have a theory, and my theory is that Pep is really looking at what Deserby is doing at Brighton, and he's he's taking some pages out of his book. Because the, the, the vertical passing. 
well, not just the vertical passing, but it's, you know, before it looked like we didn't want to invite pressure as much as we do now for the last, because Deserby's big thing is not just playing out from the back, but he wants to invite your, your pressure on, right? So he wants to play deep and his center backs will hold the ball in their own third until you come and get them. So rather than just kind of choke the game off and play the entire game in their third, he wants to kind of draw these deeper line teams out and play through them. And Brighton do that very well. And City can do that very well, but generally they're not that type of team in that like they are against bigger teams because bigger teams are going to press you more. But in terms of the smaller teams, City just go into their third and just play the entire game in their third normally. And yeah. against a team like Southampton, where Southampton isn't going to press your center backs. They're going to press everybody in front of the center backs, but they're going to leave the center backs alone. And they're going to leave Ederson alone. So I think, uh, and it worked one time in the first half, I think it was in the fourth or fifth minute of the game where Southampton actually came towards them and they played right through Southampton. And that created probably the biggest chance of the first half that didn't score where Grealish had that shot and curled it. And then the deflection just missed De Bruyne or Holland getting ahead on it into an open goal. And City played right through them. I mean, right. It was beautiful to watch. And so I think for these teams that aren't going to press you, he's really trying to lure them out. And then with how good we've been at the back with our one-touch passing and just playing through press, we're just going right through them. So I think they did a decent job of that. It was once you got past the initial press, there wasn't enough there. It just wasn't coming together well. And I think that was more of the problem rather than, we can't play out, which I think has been more of a problem against Southampton in previous years is that, or in previous matches really, is that we just can't play out. Like they, they cut the passing lanes more and they're really good at taking the ball from the midfield. And then they have numbers moving forward in a counterattack. And I don't really think they had many counterattacks today. So I, as we didn't create as much as we should have in the first half, we also didn't really let them do a whole lot. And so yeah. for that reason, that, I thought it wasn't that bad. There was that one chance for Suleiman. Was that, that was in the first half, right? I think it was before the Harlem goal where was, he ran. And I think Ake played it really, really well. And then Edison made a nice sweep. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that was probably their best chance. I feel like Sulemana kind of hesitated he like he like he like he buckled when he's like he's like ah oh, i'm so open here and then he's like he slowed it down just a tad and allowed Ake to kind of shepherd him a bit more to the left um i feel like that was a big chance for them but edison did really really well so and i was something that um uh goalkeeper.com i can't remember the guy's name on twitter but he he actually said it, it was very new for Edison to do that. And it's better for him to do that in a one-on-one situation, to stay on your line. Edison of old would actually go out and sweep earlier, which would give a better shot, an easier shot on target from the attacker. Because obviously, as your keeper comes out and you're in a 1v1. But for some reason, he stayed back. So maybe this could be a good thing 
for us, for Edison, because I think like he did that perfectly. Um, he stayed on his line, allowed Aki to shepherd him left, and then went for the sweep. As as Sulaimana had less opportunity to to actually do something, I feel like that was a big moment in the game as well. Because that you know a one on one usually um, with Edison generally ends up in a goal for us for for the opposing team. Yeah, I think he did much better in the one on ones. Um, yeah, and I think that might be partially due to Ortega as well, because Ortega is very good in one on ones. Like yeah, back at Bielafield, he was very very good. At one and that same goalkeeping analyst, he was on um, the esteemed company YouTube channel. That's right, and it was a great talk. And that's one thing he said is um, when he was kind of comparing Ortega to Ederson, is that Ortega was much more fundamental in those one on ones where you know if they take this step, then you go out and you take one step, and there's essentially just more goalkeeping fundamentals that I know nothing about. And he said Ortega was very good at that. And Ederson kind of went more off of instinct and feeling than the stricter goalkeeping fundamentals. And it seems like he's starting to adapt that a little bit. And that's really nice to see because I think Ederson did do nice. And the one goal that he gave up wasn't really his – he couldn't really do anything about it, quite honestly. Yeah, that that goal was more like we don't want to give away a penalty – Dribbled around five players. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It was one of those things where you're up three and you're almost like, whatever. So let's move on to the second half. What did you think of the performance in the second half? What did you think changed? I know we talked about that a little bit, but um, how did you see the second half performance overall? Well, to, to give you some stats. So the first half, we only created 0.83 XG. The second half, we created 2.08. So that tells you straight away that we changed something in the second half or we were more or less sloppy. Um, but I feel in that second half, so I feel like the first 10 minutes was much of the same. It was a little bit better, but not much different from the first half. But because of the one goal lead, um, it allowed us to be a bit more relaxed. And that's what was, that's what was so important of that Haaland goal in the first half. The, the players were a lot more relaxed about, you know, forcing it to go forward. I feel like if we went in halftime nil all, um, and then, you know, he hit that 55, 60-minute mark in the second half, you kind of start feeling the pressure of, oh, okay, we need to score, we need to score. Right? But because of that one, that that goal lead in the second half, it made the second half a lot easier, naturally. But I actually feel the subs is what changed it for us. So he put on, he subbed on Walker for Stones, and Bernardo for Mares, and Bernardo kind of went into that right midfield role, and then I think Gundogan dropped next to Rodri, and, um, and it kind of changed the dynamic because Walker went out really, really, really wide. And you know, as Pep said in the press conference, um, you know, Walker can't play that inverted role in midfield, so he doesn't want Walker there. Um, but as soon as he brought him on for Stones, he pushed him out really far wide, and he kind of opened up the um, pitch. So I feel like that changed it for us because suddenly we were, it was much easier to break their press. It was much easier to pass out from the back, um, and then we started creating a lot more chances. Um, and then, you know, the, basically the talent of the players was allowed to shine with Haaland, Grealish, um, Kevin De Bruyne. I feel like Grealish had a brilliant second half. 
Um, you know, regardless of his goal and assist, he was basically all over Southampton. I'd say. I think he was good in the first half too. He was. He was good, I thought he was good, good in the first, first half. He was good in the first half, but I feel like we weren't getting the ball enough out to him as much as the second half. Second half, I feel like he had a lot more on the ball, and he was just. Uh, that's probably credit to the tactical changes that Pep did and and the subs and allowed us to be a li- little bit more open. It was much easier to pass through them. Um, but yeah, I, you know, watching it in the moment, I guess. Is a bit harder as well because you go into the range of emotions. Probably you might have a better perspective of how that second half. Maybe maybe tactically, I think I want to hear what you say. If those subs did change, um, and I want I want to hear a little bit on your thoughts on Kyle Walker as well, based on what Pep said. So, in terms of, I don't think really much changed in the second half. I think Southampton wore down a little bit, and I think City were a little more patient in the final third. But tactically, I don't really think much changed. Um, I like we did a lot less switches once Walker and Bernardo came on, and that kind of makes sense because in the first half, like Grealish, Southampton played so narrow that Grealish and Mares just had all of the space to progress the ball up the field because we weren't really progressing the ball up the field at all in the first half with our eights. It was with our wingers and. Grealish was getting a lot in behind, and you know that's kind of how he scored his goal. Is he was just streaking down the side, and also, um, so the sub that the the two subs that were made, they look like they would change the formation, but they didn't change the formation. They just changed the positioning of the players. So the same, like essentially, the way City plays is a three-two-five in possession, and. The three-two-five still held, even though those subs were made. But instead of Stones playing next to Rodri, it was Gundogan playing next to Rodri. Instead of Mares playing wide right, it was Walker pushing up high and wide, and then Bernardo playing in kind of the inside eight role, and then De Bruyne going over to the left side where Gundogan was before. So. And we've seen that a couple times this year. I think it was the first leg against Leipzig we played like that. And that's kind of Walker's skill set. If he's not one of the third or one of the three in the back, is he can play high and wide. Um, I am interested to see if that's something that City looked for in the transfer market this year. Like if they go for a left back that is more offensively gifted, so that they can play a left back high and wide and then Grealish a little more inside or Foden a little more inside and kind of do it that way, whereas it's more on purpose because Walker is great, but he's not the best going forward. Like, he doesn't have a wand of a foot to send in crosses. He's, like, he's very pacey and he's he's fine, but he's not like Joao Cancelo or how Benjamin Mendy was where they if they were high and wide, they had a very good skill set. Um, to deliver some dangerous balls from that area. So it would be interesting to see if we actually do that this summer with whatever transfer targets, because I know Pep said something about that. He may be looking for that in a player this summer, just to kind of give a different look, honestly. Um, but also, those when those subs came on, like the very first offensive possession they got was Grealish's goal, and it came... Basically from Walker and Bernardo. Like, Walker kind of cleared it, 
I don't know if he intended that to go to Bernardo or not. Doesn't seem like it, but it went straight to Bernardo. Who um, <laughs> I remember. I remember, I remember saying that, and I'm like, I was thinking, was that on purpose, Walker? Or was that one of those lucky things? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was on purpose. If that was, then fair play to him. But um, <laughs> it, and it just made its way out to Grealish, and Grealish did the rest. And I think at two nil, and Southampton, you could tell they were tiring because. The way they play, that's incredibly tiring to be organized Pressing, and yeah. play a little higher up the field. Like that's that's very tiring when you don't have the ball, and they still didn't have the ball very much. So um, I think that was incredibly important for City to just keep wearing them down, and at 2-0, the floodgates just kind of opened, and City were able to turn it on from there, and then... They were also just able to shut the game down when they wanted to shut it down. Um, the the defending on Southampton's goal was just so poor. So poor. Um, and I'm sure Pep will have words with the whole unit on that. But other than that, I think it was a pretty professional and well-rounded performance from City, and especially in the second half. Like, they just they created more. They created good chance or good uh, – good goals and good uh, good chances for the players. And overall, it, you can't really hate on a 4-1 win. You know, it, it was it was well done and City took their chances. So, uh, but tactically, you know, the positioning of the players changed. Uh, it changed a little bit, but overall, I, I think it was just a little bit better execution in the second half and the final third, which led to the more goals and also just higher XG. We got to talk about um Holland's overhead scissor kick. <laughs> I thought he only scores tap-ins. <laughs> That's a tap-in. Are you serious? <laughs> he tapped it in off his foot and went into the corner of the net. Are you serious? It's tap-in. <laughs> that was... I didn't think he had that in his arsenal, quite honestly. And... The entire move just to get there was beautiful as well. Um, like Gre- like we said, like Grealish I thought was very, very good all game. Um, Maitland-Niles was just, he terrorized Maitland-Niles the entire match. Um, and I kind of feel bad for Maitland-Niles, but yeah, he, he really did. And he could kind of do what he wanted out there on the wing. And this time he delivered a ball and it was... You know, not the greatest, but it was good enough to get to Holland and good enough for Holland to get to get that goal in because that was just I mean, the the he just amazes me more and more every week. And he's now two goals away from the Premier League record, from tying the Premier League record, and we have nine games to go. Yeah, look. Yeah. I think I feel like we had a little segment about Harlan on every podcast that we do on how amazing this player is and how like it's not enough words that you can put into place for him. Honestly, like he, that that goal to me is just like, it's like, are you serious? <laughs> like, he's like, it's like really you just did that, <laughs> and it goes to show as well. You you put the ball on a plate for him, and he's gonna do something with it. He's gonna score, you know. It, it's like that goal that he did against Dortmund um, with, you know, Joe Kinsella's, uh pass where he, like, 
put his boot up like yeah like back know, heeled good, it almost yeah like a good two meters in the air um with his foot and just like air jordan it and just like yeah no worries i got this just, just give it to me somewhere I'll, I'll i'll figure a way to put it in the back of the net he has an amazing ability just to put the ball in the back of the net it is absolutely crazy he's on 30 premier league goals with nine games to go and he's been injured for two He's got more goals than Chelsea has this entire season, and they've played two more games than he has. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people appreciate how ridiculous that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is... We've just... We've never seen anything like this, and what I think is, again, I guess, impressing me more now that, I, that I'm appreciating is, like, he can score in a million different ways. And that's really the mark of a good goal scorer is that you don't just score in the box. You can score like he scored goals outside of the box. He scored goals with his right foot. He scored header goals. He scored bicycle kicks. He's, he's kind of, he can score in a million different ways. And that's really the mark of a good striker because the ball is not going to be right on your perfect foot in the perfect situation every single time. And he's shown that, you know, obviously we said he looked to deliver quality balls to him and he's been in the right position for many of them. But hey, if the delivery's not perfect, he can still put it in the net. And I think we see that from like his days at Dortmund and even Norway. Like he still scores a goal a game for Norway and he doesn't have nearly the talent there. So it kind of shows that um, he just, like you said, he just finds ways to, there's that, you just can't teach that. You just can't. No, you can't. And. Teach it's incredible. It's incredible to watch. I can't believe he plays for us, and I hope he can recruit Jude Bellingham to come and do the same. <laughs> Look, we've had players like Aguero, and you know, every I keep, I keep hearing, "Oh, you can put any striker in City, and they're gonna score thirty goals." No one's done this. We've had we've had fucking Sergio Aguero. Like, come on, guys. Sergio Aguero never did this. He's for how great Sergio Aguero was, he was not this much of a absolute menace when it came to putting goal in the back of the net um, at this rate. Like, the rate that he does it is just insane. He is absolutely insane. Uh, I feel like we could have a 20-minute podcast every <laughs> every week just about Harlan and how good he is. We um, really at, could. <laughs> at, at putting the ball in the back of the net. Like, oh, jeez. Just rename this the Holland Talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might call this podcast "Sunburn in Southampton." Bold, bold heads burn in Southampton. <laughs> we'll see. I like we'll that. See. <laughs> um, so look, I feel like the the result once we went up three 0 was kind of secured. Um, just quickly, who, who was your man of the match? Um. I would probably give it to Grealish. I thought he looked the most threatening all match. And like he was just he even without the goal and assist, I thought the goal was underrated, to be honest. Just like oh, to yeah. have the have the awareness and then outside the boot just kind of put it right over Bazuna. That's not easy. Because he was pretty close to it and to that was that was a nice finish, good awareness. But also like he was just threatening the entire game like everything seemed to to progress the ball up the field everything seemed to go through him 
Also underrated was the pass he made out to De Bruyne for the first Holland goal. Um, right, yeah. It, it, that was really, really good. And he was kind of like almost in the quote-unquote eight role. I know it, you know, they're in the final third, so players are always switching around and stuff. But De Bruyne was out wide, and he was inside and kind of passes it right through a sea of players right into De Bruyne. So, like, he's just – it's really nice because he's a very different winger than City have had before is that he is a controlling type of player that Pep likes, and most of those wingers that we've had are not like that. Like, Sterling isn't like that, and Sané wasn't like that, but Grealish is. But then also Grealish has this – yeah, Foden is a little better, but isn't like Grealish. But then also Grealish, like, he's finally starting to show that he can threaten defenses the same way any of those guys can. And obviously, like, Foden is special in a completely different way. But Grealish, I think that was kind of the part that was missing from his time at City – up until yeah, yeah. you know three four months ago, is that Grealish kind of did all of the things that Pep expected of him and wanted him to do in terms of keeping the ball and progressing play. But now he's more comfortable to pick his spots and attack when he wants to and defend when he needs to and slow the ball up or speed it up or whatever he has to do. And now it's just all coming together, and it is so beautiful to watch. It's just absolutely beautiful to watch because he's. You're now starting to see the hundred million pound price tag that Zidi yeah. bought him for. I, I agree. I feel like Grealish now he's my man of the match for this game. But I feel like on top of that, like you said, the main thing that Grealish has added or or is now showing is the ability to create actual assists and actual goals, which which kind of what you kind of want that from your winger, but he wasn't doing it before. Uh, but now that he's doing it, you appreciate all the other little things that he does. You know, he's tracking back his his defensive ability, his dribbling ability, his holding onto the ball ability, all those little intangibles that don't show up on a stat sheet or a or a you know basically what I call the eye test, right? You, you need to watch it to appreciate it, um, and you see it now what he does. But because he's adding everything else you're a lot more happy with him. And he's been in brilliant form for the last three to four months. And he said it himself. I'm he said it himself that I am in a I'm in a comfortable situation right now. So he's he's very comfortable. He's very comfortable. He's very confident. Um and it's perfect for him to go into the you know, end of the season like this where he's playing this well. I feel like right now he's found himself and we've said it before, I mean, pep pep players take a year or two um, generally, the first twelve months for a player is not the best. You know, Mares went through it, Bernardo went through it, Grealish went through it. Grealish just took a bit longer because of the World Cup, so we didn't start seeing it till the back end of this season. But since about January, he's probably been one of our best players. Um, yeah, and that's the other thing too is that um, I don't know if this is a run of form. I think this is just what he's going to be for City. No, I don't think like, it's a run of form I don't think. Anymore. I don't think this is just he's in good form. I think this is this is the Jack Grealish we're going to get. And yeah. I think another thing that Pep really appreciates about him too is that there's rarely like a 5 out of 10 performance. It's always – it's 
even if it it's not the best game for him, it's it's consistent. It's a seven. Like you yeah. already know, no matter what, he's not going to lose the ball. He's going. He like he might not be the most threatening player on the field every single game, but you still know what you're going to get from him at some yeah. point. And he's, not, he's not a prolific scorer. He's never going to be a prolific scorer. But I don't think we need him to be. And, and when you've got Harlan in the middle, I don't think you ever you will, will never need a prolific winger. He gives you something else. I think if you, I, th- I feel like you still have at least one prolific winger. So if you can play Foden on the right, because Foden has more of a more of a natural scoring ability, that's still what we need. But when you have Jack Harlan and Foden on the front line, you're laughing. Well, yeah, that's kind of the other thing too. Is with like Jack can score enough. Like he's not a prolific scorer, like you said, but he can score enough. And Mares can score, Foden can score, De Bruyne, Gundogan, they can score. So like we're not really lacking scoring. Like correct, yeah. scored a hundred goals last season without a striker. So, and then we add Holland. So I don't really think the goal like he'll score enough goals, and he has. Like he's he started to score a lot more, but. The what he contributes to the team is far more than goals or even just assists as well. Like he's he's been great, and this is the Grealish we're going to see going forward. And this is why, um, I where I thought he would he would be, you know, by this point in the season. I'm glad to see that he was here because it seemed like a lot of people just kind of lost faith by the time the World Cup came, and I wanted to yeah. be a little more patient with him. And I'm glad I was because we see now that I think if we see this type of Grealish that we've seen for the last couple of months and we see him like this for five years, he'd absolutely be worth a hundred million pound type of player. Like he's, he'd absolutely be worth his price tag. Uh, I don't think, I don't think he'd ever be worth a hundred million to me. Um, I feel like it was always between that 60 to 80 million. But look, he, he's been fantastic. I, 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 you know, a price on that is just a price. It doesn't really matter. You know, if we if we get Jude Bellingham for 130 million, he's going to be a 130 million player next season. Probably not. But it doesn't matter as long as you get get the right profile of players in the team, whatever they cost. As long as the finance guys can make it work, who gives a shit? <laughs> that's that's my opinion. <laughs> look, I kind of I kind of liken it his career a little bit too to like someone like Kyle Walker where. We paid yeah. a record fee for a fullback for Kyle Walker, and Kyle Walker was good at Spurs, but he wasn't like world class. And he comes to City, and now we look at it and we're like, oh, fifty million for Kyle Walker? He hundred percent is worth the price tag. Yeah, but at the yeah, time but- you're thinking like he's good, but is he worth the most expensive fullback in the world? And he's you know, Walker, I believe, was 27 when he came to City. So, I mean, it, it. I think there are parallels there. And now that we look back on the career Walker has had, we say, yeah, he's absolutely worth that price tag. And I think we're going to do the same thing for Grealish in five years from now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I don't know price is a price and the price is going to keep going up. You know, $100 million for Jack will just be like, <laughs> like honestly, yeah, it's a normal top tier player. So it doesn't really matter. Um, same thing with Kevin De Bruyne, fifty-five million flop, reject Chelsea, reject. <laughs> nah, look, I feel like the way he's played, I'm happy. I'm happy to 
the way he's playing. And he's probably going to be a staple in our lineup for a while. Too. I, don't, I don't see anyone taking his spot from him for a while. You know, before we were looking at Foden, Mares, Foden, Mares. <laughs> should we play Grealish or Mares type of thing? Or, you know, leave Foden on the left because you want to Foden. But I feel like no, right it's, now... It's Grealish. It's Grealish is to lose. He's, he's, he's got that position on lockdown, basically. So just, just you know, talking about the end of the game, and we've talked about a little bit Liverpool, how do you feel about the title race right now? I feel much more confident, honestly, because now, I mean, the biggest thing is you just have to beat Arsenal at home. You have to do it. And I think Arsenal is going to start feeling the pressure because they've never been in something like this. And they're, they are a really young team. And this is the adversity that they're going to have to face. Like, they're going to have to get used to this because... Honestly, like City, the last time or the first time City were in a dogfight like this, they had already won a title. Those guys had already been champions. Less pressure. Because the the first season, City ran away with it. And the second season was when they had um they had Liverpool pressing them and City City turned it up. So now Arsenal, it's they've lost it or at least they've lost their destiny. I mean, technically they are in control of their destiny. Because if they beat us, we're both at in the control. Etihad, of destiny. Yeah, we're both in control. Exactly. So they can get away I, with a draw. They don't have to beat us. They can. They yeah, can take exactly. So I, I think this is shaping up much more favorable to the city, and also just seeing the performances from both teams. I think City has put in much more consistent and dominating performances as of late, whereas Arsenal haven't. Like, Arsenal got dominated today, and they were they lucky should. to come out with a draw. So, yeah, I agree. and I get it. Liverpool at Anfield is is weird. It's it's a different beast. I mean, City lost there. So, I get it. But Arsenal haven't been the most convincing, and I don't think – I think they'll drop more points other than City by the end of the year, and it looks like City's just turning it on right now. And I, I'm excited, but I think I'm v- much more confident now that the, essentially the title is in City's hands. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You know, I feel like they had to loot. They had to drop points today, which was good. Um, so let's just look ahead. So we've got Bayern Munich coming up, and then we've got Leicester on the weekend. And then I think we've got the FA Cup right after that. Uh, or do we have another so. game? Yeah, I think we have FA Cup midweek and then Arsenal after sure? that. No. no, surely not. No, Let I think it's by it's it's Bayern two weeks in a row. So we've got so we've got Bayern midweek, Leicester at home, and then Bayern again midweek. Then a cup on the weekend, and then Arsenal midweek. So, okay, so we've got a huge huge stretch of games coming up. Um, starting with Bayern Munich on Wednesday or Wednesday morning for me, Tuesday night for everyone else. Um, what time would that be for you, actually? Would that be morning for you? The Bayern match is Tuesday at 3 o'clock for me. 3 p.m.? Yeah, 3 p.m. for oh, me. that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty nice. Um, a nice time. But Champions leagues are generally 
three to four o'clock in yeah, the it's, afternoon. It's, so it's, nice. it's, it's Wednesday, 5 a.m. for me. <laughs> Which is wow. nice as well. I don't, I don't mind 5 a.m. Yeah. games. They're be- they're better, better than like 2 a.m. It's better than 2.30 a.m. Southampton games. Um, stressing <laughs> at 2.30 a.m. I, I hate those games. But anyway, <laughs> we take what we can get. Um, so fi- here's, a, here's a question. Do you think that City is going to line up? Because we've talked about this before, and we've probably talked about this on the podcast, but like previews, I think, are... I don't know. I I don't generally like previews in general. They're, I don't think they're... like We're not going to be able to predict what Pep is thinking before Bayern. We're just not. So <laughs> Especially with Tuchel. Like for me to kind of <laughs> make a prediction, I, I feel like that doesn't really add much value to a conversation. But with that being said, do you think that City is going to stick with the same lineup that we saw today and that we saw against Liverpool? Or do you think there's going to be, if there are any changes, there, there would be some changes. Like maybe Bernardo in somewhere, maybe Alvarez in somewhere, or maybe Walker. Who, who knows? Do you think that'll happen or do you think we're going to see the exact same team? Hard to know. So... Pep will obviously know how Tuchel plays. And look, I think Tuchel... It's at the Etihad, right? So Tuchel's not going to go full guns blazing at the Etihad. He's going to sit back. He'll, he'll take a nil or, or a one nil loss and then take that back to the, to, to, to the, to the Alliance. So, like, to me... To me... Yeah, look, it's, it's very, very hard to predict. The only nailed starters, obviously, are Jack... Rodri, uh, Haaland, Kevin De Bruyne, and Diaz, Edison. They're the only, like, legit. Uh, probably Ake as well, because he subbed him off on that 60 minutes, right? So you know Ake's going to play. So to me, they're the only lockdown starters, right? So whether he plays Walker, whether he plays Stones and puts him back in midfield, he I don't think Stones played that great against Southampton. He was a bit sloppy um, in that first half, and then some of the second half, and then that's kind of why the subs but it all depends on how he thinks Bayern are going to set up and he would just based on that um you know I, I feel like maybe Bernardo needs to start that game you know I know Riyad Mahrez has been a staple in past Champions League but there's a high chance that Bernardo starts that game on the wing and then have Grealish on the other side and that way you get total control you get a bit more legs in midfield um but it's just, it just depends on how he wants to do it so for me to try to even predict what he's gonna do is like, oh, you know, Pep. <laughs> Just look as long as he doesn't start, no defensive midfielders, and Bernardo at left back. I think I'm happy. Like I'll, I'll be satisfied with any lineup he chooses outside of that, whether it's Walker or Stones, Harlan in the middle, Jack on the left, etc. Doesn't really matter. Obviously, Foden can't play. So it can't. So in a way, the lineup starts picking itself. If you know what I mean. We've, we've only got 16 plays really to pick from. When you think about it, and one of those sixteen players is Laporte, who's not going to play. So now you're down to fifteen. You know what I mean? Do you see? Do you see what I mean? How the line starting to pick itself. <laughs> yeah, and that's honestly, it's it's even harder because, and I think it's harder for Pep too because he's only seen there's only three games that Bayern has played under Tuchel, so you know Pep doesn't even know what Tuchel's going to do. <laughs> Did they, and, didn't they? Didn't they lose? One of the games as well. They lost against. They, they lost to Freiburg in the yeah. Pokal, which is like, 
And then they beat them on the weekend, though, in... 1-0. Yeah, in the Bundesliga, yeah. So... Yeah, so... But the weird thing is, is, like, the Pokal is essentially, like, the FA Cup for Germany, but that's a big deal for Bayern. And the fact that they lost to Freiburg, who's not good, uh, that, that was interesting. And from what I know about Bayern this year is they're kind of struggling for goals. I know their goal record has been great, but they really miss Lewandowski. Like they really miss a nailed on goal scorer. So I really don't know how they're going to play, but also remember Tuchel beat city in the champions league without a nailed on goal scorer. So honestly, I, I don't know. I don't even think Pep knows. Um, I know they haven't done the back three really like they they've, Played at least nominally more of a back four, and Cancelo hasn't really played as much. I thought it would be somewhat of a back three, and Cancelo and and Davis more as wingbacks, but none of us know. I, I don't even think Pep does because Tuchel is also very good tactically. So yeah. I feel like I feel like against City, he will go with a back three, though, right? That's what he. That's I don't what know because I like he does like to press. I think that. You know, with Chelsea, he's tried to press us, and it just didn't work. I don't think he had the players to do it either. Um, but I think he'll try. I, I just, I highly doubt that he's just going to sit back and defend with this Bayern team. And I don't you think this Bayern team can do it. You don't think he'll so play I, in the so I, I don't think he will. I mean, like, they'll take their chances on a counterattack, just like City do. Like, City still have counterattacks. But I think he's going to want to control the game just like he always does. And I think he has a better team than he had at Chelsea to do it. So why not? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that is essentially like playing scared for Bayern. Like you're, you're Bayern Munich. You're probably, you're one of the best teams in the world. Are you really going to go to the Etihad and play scared and essentially just try to defend on the counter? I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to press and, you know, Tuchel might change it up if City just start breaking right through that press, but I think they're going to try to go toe-to-toe with City because it's Bayern Munich at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's one of those games where I think we need to win as well. Um, we, I, I don't think... I wouldn't be confident yeah. in the two legs if we go in a draw or even down. Like I don't think we can win away. Like We can win away at Allianz, but I don't think... If we go if we go down one nil at Etihad and we go to the islands down one nil, it'll be a lot harder to get a result there. So I feel no, like we we, we need a goal or two here. Yeah. We yeah. need to go up a, a goal or two here and go yeah, back to Munich. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's gonna go similar to the semi final against Madrid last year. We're gonna, we're gonna go guns blazing to start the game. That's 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 what I feel right now. That we need to go guns blazing to start again. I'm happy for a Holland hat trick, please. <laughs> please. Yeah, and Holland Holland does like scoring against Bayern, so oh, there does. is that as well. He and does. I do think like if there's one weakness in Bayern's team, like their backline is incredibly inconsistent. Like they have Upamecano and Pavard and and Delict, who are just like they're all talented guys, but they're not the most consistent of players. And it wouldn't surprise me if Holland really got after them. Yeah, it's it's, going to be an interesting one. That's that's for sure. 
Alright, score prediction. Go for it. 3 1 City. Ooh, confidence. Wow, really? What about you? Yeah, I'm doing uh, it. I'm going to go 2 1 City. I'm going to go 2 1. I'm hoping for a 2 0. That's, that's what I think we're capable of doing, but. Don't At least the way goals don't matter anymore, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, which is nice, exactly. I'll, I'll take a 2-1, but I'll be more happy with a 2-0 for sure. But my prediction is going to be 2-1. They'll, they'll nick goal. They'll, they'll get a goal on like a counter-attack or from mistake. They've got they've got very good ball winners in midfield. Um, so I feel like they'll they'll punish us at least once. And I'm just looking for a, for a <laughs> classic CL Haaland performance where we go up like three more in 20 minutes and then Bayern just look shell-shocked. But that's that's me hoping. Um, and that's the great thing about Champions League games like this, especially against big teams. Um, you just don't know how they're going to go. It's it's a basically a coin toss. You know, performance on the day, little bounces. You need a bit of luck to go far in the, in the Champions League. So let's just hope the um, the luck's are on our side on, on Wednesday and, or Tuesday night for everyone else and or Tuesday afternoon for you. Um, and then go from there. I'm looking yeah, forward to and that's- I am looking forward to it. I, I, I kind of... So, like, Premier League games right now are, like, tight and stressful because you kind of... You're in a tighter race and you need to win every game, basically. Um, so, you just need a score. But I think in Champions League, it's just so unpredictable. So, you kind of, you kind of enjoy them a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. And... Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we just need to jump on them from the beginning because Bayern is, if you talk about mentality monsters, like Bayern and Real Madrid are the types of teams that are that really give you that. Like Bayern is not, nobody on the team is scared of City. They're not, you know, they don't think they're inferior. They have World Cup winners. They have Champions League winners. Like they're, they're not going to just lay down. I, I highly doubt that. Like City, so if City do blitz them, like it's it's still not over. So yeah. I hope we do. And just to kind of you know cut off the snake's head, sort of thing. Because if you don't, then they can always come back. Yeah, and that scares me. Let's be honest. Cancelo is going to get an assist or a goal against us <laughs> if he plays. <laughs> oh, if, if he plays, yeah. <laughs> hope he doesn't. I mean, I would honestly like that matchup of him versus Grealish, though. Like, yeah, I, I think that very much favors Grealish. And even Pavard, like, Pavard is a better defender, but he's not super quick. So I think Grealish will, uh, I think Grealish will really perform in these Champions League matches. Yeah. All right. Um, feel like we can wrap it up there. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, and you will see us again after Bayern. We'll put together a review for Bayern and a little look into the weekend. Um, So we want to thank you guys for listening, and just shoot us some comments on Twitter or in our email. Um, But for now, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See ya.